Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome back to Series 6 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jo. And I'm Jerry. And throughout Series 6, we've been looking at equality and anti-oppressive practice using the Equality Act in England as a framework. So we started off back in um, episode 1A by revisiting the ethics and social work role around fighting discrimination and the theories that support this. And each month then we've been looking at evidence around inequality relating to a protected characteristic and thinking about the practice um, experience and expertise around social workers challenging discrimination and upholding rights. This is our last protected characteristic. Yeah, and it's um, good to see this series getting lots of downloads. Um, we hope that it's helping you reflect because it's certainly helping us. I think that I always um, knew about the Equality Act and thought what a great thing it was and was aware that it was informing um, the way we practice, but also informing our demographics. But being able to have the chance to really dive in and pull it apart and think about it has been super, super helpful for me. Um, and I'd like to give a big shout out to Anne-Marie, who listens to us while she's cooking her supper. Um, I was really lucky enough to meet her yesterday while I was teaching, and it's always really lovely to meet our listeners um, and to be able to talk with them and hear their wisdom as well. So thanks, Anne-Marie. Lovely time with you yesterday. And we hope that you do enjoy the podcast and let us know what you're thinking by visiting our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com or by commenting on iTunes. And do leave a review on iTunes if you can, because it helps other people find us. We're looking ahead to Series 7, which is going to um, start in autumn this year. What we're going to do next is a review of the year. And then we're going to take a break between now and September we have actually been doing this for six years now. Um, it's hard to believe, isn't it? it? It really is. But, you know, what a great six years it's been. I just – this is one of the things that brings me real joy in life. I absolutely love doing this. And it's really helped deepen and strengthen my own um, social work value base, which is fantastic. But I'm off to Australia and um, – I'm going to have three months there with my family, which will be absolutely wonderful. It's been a long time since I've been able to go home. And I'm sure that I'll come back fizzing with ideas and inspiration. Yeah, so next year, um, well, next season, starting in September, we are thinking about um, looking at direct practice. So going back to kind of social work practice routes um, and picking up on particular practice skills and exploring how to do those really well. And we're still keen, of course, to have um, people come onto the podcast and talk to us about what helpful social work means to you. Um, and we'll be using the B podcasts to, to share this platform with others. So yeah, well, today we're looking at the final protected characteristic in the Equality Act, which is gender reassignment. And as with the other characteristics that we've looked at, we're using this as a starting point for talking about identity in the round and the intersectionality between different aspects of people's identity and experience and history. Um, and also thinking broadly around social work ethics, which have at their heart this idea of challenging discrimination in all its forms for every person. Um, in the way that is most helpful to that particular person. I just want to start with a note on language. The Equality Act, uh, which is from 2010, uses the terms gender reassignment and transsexual. The preferred term for people with lived experience is trans. 
So we're going to start with what the Equality Act says, but then we'll, we'll, go, we'll go wider in our discussion. Um, it's also, I think, worth adding that this is a contested area of, of rights and you know, there's contested debate around emerging social work practice um, and the, the best response and the best way of, of, um, of practicing. Again, as with the other areas that we've talked about in these podcasts, we are not experts. We're drawing on information that's hopefully going to be helpful to, to doing social work and being social workers. And um, we're, we're trying to kind of maintain always our focus on the lives of people that social workers are there to support and how we can enable people to thrive, which is really the, the fundamental purpose of social work. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. I, th I think that's a really um, good point to reiterate. And I think that, you know, for me, throughout uh, this series, what has been clear is how much, how good it is to take the time to really try and think deeply about these issues. And as you say, how as a social worker, you can be as responsive and as helpful and as curious as you possibly can. But, you know, starting with the Equality Act is really helpful. So if we, if we go and have a look at what the Act says, um, the Equality Act 2010 says that you must not be discriminated against because you are transsexual when your gender identity is different from the sex assigned to you when you were born. And then it goes on to give you examples. A person who was born female decides to spend the rest of his life as a man. In the Equality Act, it is known as gender reassignment, and all transsexual people share the common characteristic of, of gender reassignment. And to be protected from gender reassignment discrimination, um, and I think this is really quite key, you do not need to have undergone any specific treatment or surgery to change from your birth sex to your preferred gender. And this is because changing your physiological, your um, psychological or other gender attributes is a personal process rather than a medical one. And you can be at any stage in the transition process. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's quite an important and helpful thing for social workers to keep in mind. Um, the Equality Act then goes on to say that you must not be discriminated against because of your gender reassignment as a transsexual, um, and you may prefer the description transgender person or trans male or female, and um, a wide range of people are included in the term, but you're not protected as transgender unless you propose to change your gender or have done so. So there's an example here of a group of men on a stag do who put on fancy dresses, women who were turned away from a restaurant. They are not transsexual, so they're not protected from discrimination. And I think that taking some time to look at the Equality Act and to kind of get your head around what it's trying to say about this is, is quite helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it also goes on to say, you, you know, apart from that direct discrimination, um, you shouldn't. You cannot be discriminated against um, because someone thinks you're transsexual, because um, mm. that's discrimination by perception, or because you're connected to um, a transsexual person, or someone wrongly thought to be transsexual, which is discrimination by association. Yeah, and it's interesting also, Jerry, that intersex people, um, which is a term used to describe a variety of conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that does not fit the typical definitions of male or female are not explicitly protected from discrimination by the Equality Act, but you must not be discriminated against because of your sex or perceived sex. 
Um, so an example of that would be if a woman with an intersex condition is refused entry to a woman-only swimming pool because the attendants think her to be a man, this actually could be sex discrimination or disability discrimination. Yeah. And then the Equality Act um, goes on to kind of provide a little bit more detail about the sorts of um, discrimination that might be experienced. Um, mm -hmm. And so there is direct discrimination when someone treats you worse than another person in a similar situation because you're transsexual. Again, we're using the, um, the terminology of the Equality Act. Um, so, for example, if you're away from work because of gender reassignment, your employer cannot treat you worse than you would be treated if you're off for another reason mm -hmm. um, due to to illness or injury or something else. There's indirect discrimination when there's a policy or way of working that puts people at a disadvantage. Um, harassment, um, which is um, you know, making someone feel humiliated or offended or degraded. Um, and victimisation, um, when you're uh, essentially treated badly because you've made a complaint of gender reassignment related discrimination, or if you're supporting somebody. Um, and the Equality Act also does go on to give a bit more information about where a difference in treatment may be lawful. Um, and again, this is the, the current law that we're talking about. So if an organisation is taking positive action um, to encourage or develop transsexuals to participate in a role or activity in which they're currently underrepresented or disadvantaged, that might be an exemption to the Equality Act. Um, competitive sports. Um, might be it might be lawful for an organisation to restrict participation because of gender reassignment if they're able to show that this is the only way it can make the event fair for everyone, um, mm. or if a service provider is providing single sex services um, in very restricted circumstances, it's lawful for an organisation to provide a different service um, or to decline the service to someone who's undergoing gender reassignment or you know, intends to undergo or has undergone gender reassignment. Um, so and I think it, when yeah. you talk about um, contested areas, quite a few things in there are being contested and, and challenged at the moment. I think it's fair to say um, and that this is a very live debate and this part of the Equality Act is um, is is uh, getting a workout, I guess, as yeah. people, you know, test and, and, and look at it and, and try and find a way forward that's fair and ethical. And I think if we think about this as social workers, you know, this is a, an act from 12 years ago. Mm. Uh, it's good always, isn't it, to keep the law and policy under review. I think that's something that mm. you know, um, it's part of our professional capabilities is to keep our knowledge and our understanding updated. We would expect the same of, of you know, law and policy. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, the, the, as, as you say, you know, the human state is a changing one and uh, we're always evolving how we live and how we work together. And those things need to be, yeah, as, as you say, constantly taken under review. So there's um, some kind of some information that I thought we'd just start to think about, because I think that'll help us think about the things we need to focus on as social workers. Um, the Government Equalities Office, this is it taken from some information that they had in 2018 around about, um, so how many trans people are there at the moment? And there's actually no robust data on the UK trans population. There's a tentative estimate that there's approximately between 200,000 to 500,000 trans people in the UK. Um, and I think I think it's important to to know that that's because that's quite a big gap, isn't there, between two hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. So there's some, you know, we don't we don't kind of have enough understanding or insight 
into um, tra the trans population, how they're living their life and what they're doing, um, how they're finding, how they're finding living life in society. 41% of trans men and trans women did respond to a Stonewall survey, which said they'd experienced a hate crime or an incident because of their gender identity in the last 12 months. And um, the Stonewall survey also found that 25% of trans people had experienced homelessness at some point in their life. And these are all issues that social workers should be thinking about. Um, the National LGBT survey found similar results with 67% of trans respondents saying they avoided being open about their gender identity for fear of a negative reaction from others. So as social workers, we need to kind of hold in mind that trans people may well be hidden and they may well experience oppression and discrimination and very likely fear a negative reaction. Um, based on that evidence, yeah. Based on that evidence. And so, yeah, I, I just think what that tells us is that this is an area for us to be doing lots of learning and thinking in. That's, that's what I think when I see that. Um, there was a report from the National Institute of Economics and Social Research funded by the Department of Education um, 2018, and it found examples of positive practice and also poor experiences. And they came to the conclusion that this was because social workers' capabilities to respond um, to the issues that trans people experience was mixed. Yeah, and I think that's... that's um... That's something when we look across the whole of equality, diversity and inclusion, mm. yeah, there is that real need um, for us to continually develop our capabilities, our skills, our knowledge and our values, um, our understanding um, around, um, around how we respond to people. And it's a really good argument for why social workers need to continue to educate themselves and to um, you know, work with uh, people who have experience of different issues because we have to step outside of our own experience all the time as social workers. What we can't do is respond or work only within the narrow confines of our own life and our own experience. Yeah, and share the share the learning and the, the practice experience and expertise that is being developed. Uh, mm. So last year, 2021, there was a position statement on social work with transgender people by BASWA. Um, and that also recognised you know, this is an emerging area of practice and that social workers do need support and learning. And um, essentially, it, this was a kind of starting point for thinking about social work practice um, and, 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 and grounded in the code of ethics as the foundation for how we practice. Um, that position statement talked about some of the ways in which we would practice um, and should practice based on the code of ethics. Um, so just read those out upholding the dignity of trans people and demonstrating professional understanding in speech and behaviour, advocating for the rights of trans people, incorporating into risk assessments and understanding the impact of physical, verbal and systemic violence mm. against trans people, personalising practice to take account of lived experience, understanding and integrating into practice the intersexual identities uh, that people have and how these affect a life experiences, opportunities and risks, seeking out the best information and sources of support, and understanding how gender identity and transitioning issues affect people at different life stages and in different contexts and understanding the role and responsibilities of social working, social workers in, in the kind of decisions and, and dilemmas that can arise. 
and seeking supervisory or other informed support and opportunities to discuss practice and ethical issues that may arise. And that last one, I think, is really crucial, isn't it? Because whenever there's emerging practice, we need mm. to have spaces where we can openly and transparently and you know, with trust talk about how we respond um, and what practice and ethics, um, particularly the ethics, um, we bring to that. Yeah, and it's um and it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you first come across something that you don't understand or that you've had a limited experience of or that, that you've never thought about from, you know, your own point of view before, your response can be quite, you know, quite a curious one or 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 kind of quite a puzzled one. And um this conversation has just brought me back to to something, um, which is that in the early 90s, yes, in the early to mid 90s now, and I just forgotten about it. This is the honest God truth. Um, someone who's a very dear friend of mine transitioned from a woman to a man, and um, I knew him when he was a woman, or when he when his gender was a female, and um, he shared with me what he was going to do, and I was really um uh, quite I wasn't shocked but I was kind of um interested and it was something I'd never encountered before you see and I went home to my best friend and I said guess what and she said what I said you know x and oh yes she says I said well she's going to be a man there's going to be like I was I was kind of just uh, the whole concept was something that was very new for me at that time I said that that's the uh, I've never met anyone like that before was kind of you know I've never met anyone who's made that decision and she just looked at me and she said well as far as you know Joe and I went oh yeah of course as far as I know and of course now all these years later that person being a really close still a very close friend of mine and my son being born years later has never known him as anything other than a male and I've long forgotten that there was anything else in his life, really. Um, but my first response was that kind of, you know, a real genuine kind of curiosity. And I think that... But I think that's also quite an interesting example, um, a helpful example of the importance of having someone to talk with. That's what I was just yeah, about to say. Yeah, I guess to that's where that what sparked your thought. That's yeah. what sparked my thought was, was you know, that, that that wasn't always, that might not have been the most helpful response, actually. But to have someone that I said, I've, I've just never encountered this before to, who was then able to kind of challenge my perspective, but also let me have that. And then I was able to go back to my friend and have a conversation. Um, and we've had many wonderful conversations. He's just a, an amazing wise person um i think yeah. for social workers that um peer discussion supervisory discussion you know for all of the things that we've talked about in this series and and you know in other series it's it's really central isn't it um because we are going to need to understand things that we and we'll encounter yeah. things that are outside of our experience and when we do we need to be able to express that and then find ways to look for knowledge um, and look for understanding and check our own bias and do all of that stuff. And it has to be done in safety. And I think that, yes, peers and, super, and supervisors um, and 
experts by experience are the right people to be able to have these conversations with. Um, so when I kind of think about practice and, and what it is that we need to be thinking about, well, first of all, we need to start from the point of who that person is and how they identify. So what's their story? How do they want that story to be understood? And what kind of response, help, support do they want? You know, so it's starting right at that, you know, as a person, as an individual. Um, and that kind of brings me to another piece of work that I was lucky to do about four years ago now with a group of young trans people. And they did a lovely um, round circle conversation about what good help looked like from social workers for young people um, who were transitioning. And some of the things that came out of that conversation was really about how they wanted permission not to be pigeonholed through kind of old, what they considered to be old-fashioned demographics. So uh, making these kind of big sweeping statements about identity that were quite rigid and, and quite wide, they really wanted to be able to be very granular about their identity um, and to be able to be fluid about how they were seen. And um, one of the statements that's always stuck with me is one young person said, stop being so obsessed with what's in my pants. Hmm. It's really not your business. Just accept what I'm offering you as a person rather than kind of fixating on trying to um, understand my gender in that very binary, old-fashioned way. So I think there was something for me about um, us being able to really listen to how people want to be identified and want to be seen. You know, that visible, invisible window when we think about the social graces and allowing people to have much more freedom to talk about their identity in those granular ways. And I think as a social worker, I think years ago when we did assessments, we kind of did that um, religion, ethnicity, uh, sex, gender type. Do you know what I mean? Like we did this kind of, and we said that's their identity. And I think that the message I got from these young people was that doesn't even scratch the surface of our identity. Which absolutely fits with the the, um, the lens of intersectionality, doesn't it? Yeah. If, um... And and with person-centred practice, I mean, this is, it's really kind of um, building on really good social work, um, relational practice, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and, and that real person-centred <laughs> approach to people and being able to, yeah, we've, we've got to have encounters with people that are authentic from their point of view, haven't we? Instead of wanting to put them into boxes um, and it's like you know sometimes we can only offer help if you fit a certain amount of criteria or a certain set of boxes or a certain that's really challenged in this piece of work as well and if you go back to the Equality Act at the top where it says really clearly I was really struck by this um, where it said that um, let me just find the right bit here because I don't want to misquote it. 
it's where it talks about that to be protected from gender reassignment discrimination, you do not need to have undergone any specific treatment or surgery to change from your birth sex to your preferred gender um, and that you can be in any stage in this process. And for me, that kind of sparked this idea that it's not about putting people in boxes. Mm -hmm. It's about really trying to um, understand their experience and how we can and how they feel we can be helpful in that experience. And that means that it's going to be very complex um, and we do need to have really good supervision and to be able to talk openly about those those practice issues. And I think uh, understanding you know, our own understanding, you know, our understanding of our own identity and our understanding of other yeah. people's identity is um, is is human rights understanding isn't it because mm. it's about our humanity um mm. and you know, human rights dilemmas arise when sometimes identities conflict or collide um or you know, needs or wishes conflict and collide and that happens across social work and so again that kind of relational um critically reflective supported um social work practice of kind of picking our way through those dilemmas is is going to be really really important mm. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm what you were talking Jerry. about as well has also um, um, reminded me of uh, a article that was in the Professional Social Work magazine for Baswa not so long ago uh, about how to work with gender uh, gender diversity again from um, from the viewpoint of lived experience and um, this acronym ANTS came up ANTS um, to be accepting, non-judgmental, uh, trans-affirmative, open-minded, uh, and sensitive. So that's about um, that use of empathy and other mindedness and, and, and open mindedness. Um, and the person who wrote the article was recommending you know, that we 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 learn and we are prepared to learn from lived experience and um, that we continue to act as um, as kind of a gate openers, I guess, for services mm. that are available around. Because, um, I mean, again, this is something that, that I think about a lot when, we, when we've been talking in this series. Social workers are not, um, you know, they're not sort of superhuman in the sense that they'll have the answer. You know, we don't necessarily have the answer to um, a dilemma or a, um, you know, or something that somebody's going through in their life. Mm. Um, and it's it's not for us to kind of rush in on a, on a white horse and have the answer um, we do need to be curious and um, invested and able to support the person to find answers where that's possible and that is really about this um, thing around knowing who who does have some expertise that can be offered so um, no social worker is going to be you know the expert on everything um, or indeed, you know, necessarily, you know, on, on the thing that happens to be in front of them. Um, and I think that that strength in social work of pulling together expertise from other places is something that is really valuable when we're thinking about intersectionality, mm. um, because there is so much richness to it. It's a life's work to even begin to understand um, experiences that people can have. And I think one of the things for us is yeah, educate ourselves and know who else is out there who can who can help the people that we're working with. 
and also help expose others. That's one of the one of the things that I've been thinking more and more about is that idea of um and I got this from really from the Black Lives Matters and anti racism um is that idea of um you know being um being an advocate and actually being able to you know being a good a good partner and being able to actually have conversations with people um who might not have thought about trans um trans people before or who might have different prejudices or different ideas and actually being able just to introduce um, and model and display accept, acceptance wherever possible, but also be willing to challenge mm-hmm. those those views um, that are anti-trans and actually speak out. So I think there's something for me about the opportunity we have um, as social workers to um, be good allies um, for people and and to kind of be willing to share or knowledge and point people in 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 right directions in terms of where to get knowledge to, to and and to be willing to let people have kind of exploratory conversations and and curious conversations um i think that's that's important as well and um I'm lucky enough to uh, work with Mona Lisa Earl, who does a, a really fantastic um, blog on um, the Strengthening Practice website. Uh, and she has actually talked a little bit about um, difference, I guess. And I think that this is a really nice quote from her blog. Um, used in a pejorative way, difference sets people apart rather than bringing us together in recognition of our unique contributions to society. When we promote harmful narratives about LGBTQI plus people, and especially about transgender and gender non-conforming people, human rights campaign reminds us that if someone's gender presentation is not either male or female enough, they may be subject to misunderstanding, bias and discrimination. And I thought that was really interesting that not male or female enough, um, you know, that we have a standard of male or female. And I've actually heard that said about a young um, transgender female um, that I know that that she's not very feminine. Like, so she's failing her, her transgender assignment because she's, you know, not reaching that, that, that category of femaleness, which is, which is quite puzzling, really. So I think that's quite an interesting thing for us to think about, too, what we think male and female is and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Mona Liz goes on to say, as social care professionals working in and across multiple contexts, we must hold fast to the ethics and value that guide our profession and at every opportunity advocate for policies that reflect the diverse populations we serve. And I think that statement that Mona Lisa's made um, captures what I was rambling about before, actually, so eloquently and beautifully. It captures the series really well, doesn't it? And it I really think, does. You know, as we said at the start, this this series has really been the opportunity to to explore and to develop our understanding in conversation and hopefully it has um, has done that for listeners as well um there is so much more joe for us to know and know. think about isn't there um, you know it's as big a topic as the 10 billion people that there are yeah. on the planet 
I love that about social work. I think one of the, the fantastic things about social work is you're really privileged to think about humanity and think about people and think about individuals and interact on that kind, on those scales, if that makes sense. What what does a just society look like? What does uh, justice look like in our community? And what does it feel like and look like for individual people? Social work allows you to think right across um, that spectrum. And I think that's just a cracking job, I've got to say. And I guess that does lead me back to those, um, you know, that code of ethics that, that just is, for me, just... Um, enshrined in my heart now the three gates I think of them you know uh, am I humane am I just and am I acting with integrity for me if we can run run our social work practice through that lens it really helps us have good authentic encounters with people that they value thank you Joe. so I will see you shortly for the um, the review of the year, review of season season six. Um, yes, and then and then we'll have a have a short break. Yeah, I'll miss talking to you, Jerry. I will when I'm out there in the outback. I'll have to just start mumbling to myself. I make notes. Talk to the kangaroos, <laughs> Joe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. See you later. Bye bye, Jerry. <laughs> 